Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Sean Seavey. Each week, Ununinformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel dumb around your smart friends. We're talking about a gay Mormon's perspective on faith and family. That was the name of a book that was just published by Tom Christofferson. He's gay and he's a Mormon, which to many is a conflict that can't be reconciled. But for Tom, it's not that simple. His personal journey brought him away from being an active member in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But most recently, his journey brought him back to being a full-time member of the church. Last week, I attended an event in Salt Lake City called Faith Again, and Tom Christofferson was the guest. Faith Again is a monthly gathering where people of faith talk about issues that people of faith have. Being in Salt Lake, most of the participants are connected to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know, the Mormons. Some attending this Faith Again event are the hardcore Mormons. Others are struggling to stay in the church, and some have straight up left the church. But the crew also has people from other faiths and even atheists. So if you, the listener, don't quite resonate with what Mormons are all about, you'd be in good company at this event. There was quite a variety of people in the audience, but many of them were Mormons who had family members who had identified as LGBT. And it was, of course, a difficult matter to varying degrees because the church teaches that homosexual behavior is inconsistent with faithful membership in the church. Tom Christofferson grew up in a very devout Mormon family. He realized at a young age that he was, in fact, gay. But he continued to be a good little Mormon boy. Here's Tom. Uh, Good little Mormon boy, uh, went on a mission, married in the temple, and and finally came to the period where I couldn't find any way to figure out how to be Mormon or gay. It wasn't working. He came out as gay to his family, got a divorce, and then about 10 years after coming out, he met his partner in San Francisco. They maintained a monogamous relationship, and then, to make a long story short... About 12 years after that, started a journey where I felt like I really wanted to have a a spiritual connection more actively in my life. Uh, Started going to church for about five years, um, where I described myself as the most active non-member of the New Canaan Ward. Uh, (laughs) But in the meanwhile, after first time I go, I talked to the bishop and said, look, here's the scoop. You know, I'm... uh, my partner and I are in a committed monogamous relationship. I've been for about 12 years at that point. Um, but I would like to attend church. Am I welcome? And his immediate answer was, absolutely, and please bring your partner. We'd like to be both of you. And, and that began a journey. My assumption was that there was no end point for this journey other than being the most active non-member of the Duquesne Award. I, I figured I'd made commitments to a partner. Couldn't say anyway that was going to change. Um, after about five years of going to church, uh, I really felt the desire that I wanted to be baptized and had all along been praying and hoping that my partner would want to do this. That could be something we could do together and make decisions together about the best way to go. Had a conversation with the state president. Uh, he invited my partner in. We, you know, the four of us, his, he and his wife, my partner and I, had known each other socially. Invited my partner to come into his office and chat with him. Said, look, here's why baptism is so important to Tom, what it means, how do you feel, partner said, uh, well, he's been baptized once. I don't think anybody needs to be baptized more than once. 
I don't get why a bunch of men get to sit around and decide whether he's good enough for you. And more importantly, I think the church should support our little family, not do things that would take us apart. And so the state president and then invited me to join them and said, look, you shouldn't be baptized. Um, you and your partner should have conversations, and if it ever comes to a point where you could feel together that, that was the right thing to do, then let me know. But I'm not going to set any date for us to talk again. So that, over the course of about a year, was a conversation between us. Finally, he felt like I should do whatever was the right thing for me, and he would then need to figure out what that meant for him. So Tom's partner, perhaps reluctantly, gave his consent for Tom's baptism. Now, being a Mormon would require that he have no physical relationship with his partner. Tom's hope was that he could maintain a merely emotional relationship with his partner while still doing the Mormon thing. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. Tom and his partner separated ways. Tom continued his path being a Mormon while his partner went elsewhere. This was rough, especially since Tom's church leaders were surprisingly cool with him still being with his partner. After Tom gave his intro to his story at the Faith Again event, the rest of the evening was dedicated to questions from our small audience. I'm wondering what would have happened if you had gone to your bishop and said that we would like to come, are we welcome? And he said, not really, because you're not a good example for the rest of us. How probably would wouldn't you? have gone. <laughs> you would probably have been in a different place. Yeah. One of the things that he said, that he had, you haven't really talked about that before, but one of the things he said was, his immediate thought was, if somebody comes to me and tells me that they want to be closer to the Savior, how can I put an impediment in front of them? But one thing that I was thinking about, and I'm thinking about this now too, is that, how do I say this? You, you don't seem at all judging, a judgmental toward that young man that you were when you took made that decision to leave the church. Right. Like this is your journey and you're yeah. okay with that. And So that's what I'm thinking about. How do you how do you see that young man and the decision that you made I'm not, now? I'm not judgmental and I'm not judgmental of any other young man or woman who makes that decision. Or old <laughs> man or woman. <laughs> um, you know, I guess um, you know, the, the most straightforward answer is I think the whole purpose of this adventure is to make mistakes and learn. And I'm not saying that that was a mistake, but it was part of my learning process. And I, when Melinda and I were in the temple a week or two ago and looking at the Tiffany glass, she told me the story of when Tiffany was first making glass and, and they brought him the best glass around and he discovered that actually he needed glass with imperfections in order for it to really convey the beauty of what he was trying to do. And I, I kind of think Heavenly Father looks at us the same way. <laughs> that the beauty of our experiences is our imperfections, our efforts, our failed attempts and our successful attempts and everything else. That, that you know, when we reach to Him is where the beauty really is found. And I don't think we get there unless we've tried a few wrong turns. Or and I, you know, I say that I don't, I really, I really say I don't I don't regret the journey with two exceptions. That I married a woman and who could never have understood, and I didn't, what that was going to mean, but created havoc in her life. And the cost that my partner paid when I made the decision to be baptized and changed his life. 
I don't regret either decision, but I regret the impact. So, Tom, before you came, we spent an hour going around, and everyone said why we were here, we, why, why we wanted to come in and hear you speak. And it was fun to hear people's stories, and there's a lot of pain. Painful. pain yeah, there's a lot of pain, fun meaning, I guess, curious. But a lot of pain and hurt going on in the room with kids that are gay or transgender. Some of them have two and three kids in the family that are gay, and, and there was a lot of despair. And it was a sad feeling of where is the hope? Where is the peace? Where is the place to land? And I said, when Tom gets here, I'd like to know that with him. Yeah. How did he land back into the church and find peace with the policies, with the direction, and and cling to it and love it? And I'd like to hear you. Can we start first with where I find peace is Christ? Mm-hmm. And so where I where I began is that that relationship that relationship almost trivializes it. That my desire to to feel a connection and to feel that I had uh, that he knew me and that I was gaining some knowledge of him was the driving force of my journey. But the one thing I do know, and this from the experiences of my life, is that whatever the Lord has in store will be better than I can imagine. And I don't know what it's going to be. But his, his grace, his generosity to me that has always been so out of proportion to any merit I could have, Will continue, and so whatever, whatever it is, is going to be great. How can we um, be an agent of change without, in a constructive way, not a destructive way? When Jesus was asked, you know, what's the great commandment, right, and and says it is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and strength, and the second is like unto it, to love our neighbors ourselves, and on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I think he meant what he said, which is the most important thing we do is come to know and love our Heavenly Father and the Savior. As we do that, our love for our fellow beings grows because we begin to see them as they do. As we do that, we fulfill the Law and the Prophets. I really feel like if our focus is the Law and the Prophets first, we may never get to the other two. And I'm not, I don't say that in a way to denigrate in any way the role of prophets or the role of commandments. But my, my feeling is that our Heavenly Father gives us commandments because he loves us and we obey them because we love him. So if we start with our focus on him and on the Savior, then you know, our, we're not trying to live perfectly, we're trying to love perfectly. And as we try to love perfectly, then, then the elements of living perfectly come along. Living perfectly and loving perfectly. Maybe that's the secret to being strong in your beliefs and tolerant of people with different beliefs. Now, here's another audience question. Someone had to ask it. What was the impact of being a Mormon in a Mormon elite family? What she's referring to is that Tom Christofferson's brother is Elder D. Todd Christofferson, who is an apostle in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. To give you an idea of what this means, let me give you the simplified version of how the leadership hierarchy works in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. On the local level, you have the bishop, who's the pastor for the local congregation. Above him, you've got the stake president, who Tom mentioned earlier as one working with him in getting rebaptized. 
Then above the stake president, there's a large group of leaders called 70s. And above them are the 12 apostles. So back to the question, what was the impact of being in a Mormon elite family? Well, the good news was we weren't. <laughs> when I first started going back to church, uh, my brother Todd was in the 70s. And, you know, with all the best people in the world, Mormons don't know who's a 70. So, so when I talked to the bishop, they didn't have any clue. No, no one asked the question. And, he, and then he was called to 12 after that. And it took a while, actually. Interestingly, it took like two or three months before anybody said to me, is that your brother? So I, the great news for me was I felt like they had really, that this was, this was me. It wasn't my brother. I mean, he did get involved later. They both, both the state president and bishop did talk to him. But you know their their conversations with him, he would listen and, and they would say things and he'd say, well, you know, you're the president of the state. That's going to be your revelation, and you should do what you think is right. Or you're the bishop. That's going to be your revelation. You should do what you think is right. Maybe Tom's family had come to master what Tom referred to as living perfectly and loving perfectly. But but Tom says that wasn't always the case. They were in fact a little shocked when he came out as gay. Understanding certainly didn't come right away. And thinking about what it must be like for traditional families who have kids that have come out, I can't help but think of the play (laughs) Fiddler on the Roof. And I feel qualified to give commentary on Fiddler on the Roof because, well, (laughs) I was the fiddler on the roof in my high school play. <laughs> so, so I've seen it a dozen of times. So before I tie fiddler on the roof to this discussion about LGBT issues, let me give you the teaser version of the play for those who haven't seen it. And, and I don't mind giving spoilers because this play came out in the 60s. But if you haven't seen it, go watch the play somewhere or, or watch the movie of it that uh, came out in the 70s. The story is about a Jewish family living in a small Jewish town in Russia in 1905, which was under the tyrannous rule of the Tsar. But amidst all of this, the main character, Tevya, is able to find balance. And how do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word. Tradition! Tevya tries to maintain his Jewish family traditions amidst outside influence, shaking things up a bit. In short, the story is about how Tevya deals with his daughters, with their not-so-traditional marriages. His first daughter goes against the culture by not marrying who the matchmaker has picked for her, and instead marries her childhood friend, a poor tailor. And Tevya, first reluctantly, then graciously, consents for the marriage. The next daughter pushes things further and marries a guy who doesn't live by the Jewish culture and is often viewed as a radical to his fellow Jewish neighbors. And once again, Tevye reluctantly gives his permission and his blessing for their marriage. But the last daughter falls in love with a Christian man. So he's not of the culture, not of the faith, and as a result of their marriage, Tevye never talks to her again, and considers her dead. 
he just couldn't cross that line of accepting that his daughter married outside of the faith. When I watched this in high school, I was so confused about Tevye's reaction to his daughter marrying a non-Jew. I thought it was a little over the top. But over the years, I've realized that marrying outside of the religion was a big no-no for devout Jews in that culture. And I've started having a little more understanding of the context of Tevye's decision to not talk to his daughter again. I've realized that this story, written in the 60s, is not about a story of people in 1905. But it's about year 2017. But I guess the the present-day adaptation would be something like this. Tevye has a traditional Christian family. Actually, since we're talking about Mormons in this episode, let's say Tevye has a traditional Mormon family. His first daughter marries a Mormon. The second daughter marries a guy who grew up Mormon but doesn't live the religion anymore. And the last daughter has a same-sex marriage. And our modern-day Tevya faces the decision of whether he should treat her like a daughter or as a betrayer of the faith. I think thousands and perhaps millions of families across the world face the Tevya conflict. These are devout Mormons, Jews, Catholics, Muslims. I don't think their problems are that unique. Some of these Tevyas in this conflict choose the religion over the family member. Some choose the family member over the religion. But bringing it back to Tom Christofferson, what did his devout Mormon family choose? Let's go back to only a few years after Tom came out. We were having this family meeting two years after I'd come out. Um, you know, we had, it was my brothers and sister-in-law, it was a family reunion. It had started with uh, an expression that they weren't terribly comfortable if my boyfriend came along with me, maybe they couldn't bring their kids. And so mom and dad brokered this agreement, called me up and said, look, we'll never ask you to do it again, but this once will you come by yourself for two days and one night so we can meet together? I said, yes. And P.S., as you know, my, my boyfriend at the time had zero desire to come. So, <laughs> but I didn't tell them that. Um, and I thought they needed to sweat a little bit. <laughs> uh, so we that night we did put the kids to bed, had prayer. Dad said you know, he really felt like the most critical thing we could do would be loyal, remain loyal, um, and unified as and, a family. As a family, and then Mom's comment was to my brothers and sisters-in-law: uh, the most important lesson your kids will learn, so their grandkids, from seeing the way our family treats Uncle Tom, is that. Nothing they can ever do will take them outside the circle of our family's love. So was this a compromise where they took a few steps away from the religious commitment? Well, listen to what Tom says about his parents. They spent a lot of time on their knees. And later in our lives together, they were um, visiting us in in, uh, New York. And uh, my partner was in med school at the time. So mom and dad and I took a trip up to Vermont to leaf peep and uh, because he was in school couldn't go with us it was just the three of us and in that conversation I said to them what, what do you pray for when you pray for me and um, I mean do you pray that I'll come back to church and and uh, they said we pray that you'll find happiness and to us happiness is found in the church mm-hmm. and I said could we I would love to feel like we're 
unite in our prayers. So the three of us will would be praying for the same thing. And I said, how would you feel about in our prayers to express our faith that the Savior is the perfect judge of us all and that um, we could express our love for him and for each other and leave in his hands whatever the answer might be. And so for the rest of their lives and mine with them, that was our prayer. Tom returned to the LDS faith only a few years ago. But since he's been back in the faith, there's been a few bumps in the road. The biggest one was in 2015 when the LDS church made a policy change which made made Mormons who were in same-sex relationships in the category of apostasy. Shortly after the policy change made the news, the church released a video explanation where Tom's brother, Elder D. Todd Christopherson, was interviewed by the managing director of the church's public affairs department. You know, when, when Todd called me that day after the policy, when I was at the symphony, and, and I returned his call, and he said he'd recorded the, that interview with my daughters and that somebody else should have had to record. Um, he said, if you feel the need to distance yourself from me, I'll understand. And there was an element of kind of a little banter, but, but I also, he, he knew the, the people that I love would be... <clears throat> that exactly what has happened would happen. <clears throat> and, I, and I said to him, it can't have been easy for you to have the gay brother who doesn't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet you've never distanced yourself from me. And, uh, and I have no intention of putting any distance between us. And I don't, you know, nobody elected me to this position and I feel very uncomfortable sort of acting like I've got any credibility beyond my own personal experience. I, I don't represent anybody but me. And I don't, and I, and I worry that, you know, that somehow because my last name is Chris Robertson, that people take it to be a bigger thing than it is. And it's just one man's testimony. And I love my testimony. I'm so grateful for the life I've been given. But it's, but this is just one. And again, I hope, I hope maybe the one allows other stories to be heard and hearts to be opened. Um, but I don't, this is, I don't want to be professionally gay. Figure my way like everybody else is figuring theirs, you know, I don't have all the answers. Um, but I, but having said all that, I'm so grateful that all my brothers and my sisters-in-law and my nieces and nephews have been so determined in their support for me that the, their feeling was this is a story only I could tell, and there was some value in people hearing it, and that you know that this was a family project to be able to tell the story. Tom Christofferson has just released his book called "That We May Be One." A Gay Mormon's Perspective on Faith and Family. And I just bought the book. And if you'd like to give it a read, I've put the link right here in the show notes. Thanks for listening. If you're liking On Uninformed, make sure you've subscribed to our podcast. And if you really like us, leave us a rating. Our music is provided by DD Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and you've been listening to On Un- Uninformed. Thanks, everybody.